Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord, give us your spirit to discern. Teach us of your heart for us and for the world around us. May your holy light through the truth of scripture illuminate the darkness of our path. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. It can be found in your church Bibles, pages 208 to 209. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in the heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give you, to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Can you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians? Our reading will be from Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. And then Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. So that's page 1183 and 1184 in your Bibles. Starting in verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. And now chapter 3, the first four verses. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Uh, First, I would like to um, send greetings from some of our friends from our uh, church network we're a part of, the AICEME. Uh, If you are not aware, our church is a part of a group of churches called the Association of International Churches in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, And this past week, and this is where Andy and Ellie are now, we had um, an opportunity to visit with many of them in Cairo, Egypt. And um, friends of our church say hi. And um, if you were not aware, uh, when you travel around Europe and the Middle East, there are always English-speaking churches that we're friends with, and we know their pastors. And if you're ever traveling and looking for a church uh, when you're on vacation, let us know, and we can set you up with some good people. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go last week and spend some time in Egypt with these people, and uh, it was just a wonderful time. And so I don't know if you even knew that we as a church supported this group and were part of this group, but we are, and we do. And I, as a pastor, am grateful to you um, that, that you all have chosen to allow Andy and myself to be a part of it and to visit and fellowship with other pastors. So to you all, thank you for your support, as always. This morning, we are going to continue our series in our Jesus series on who Jesus is. Another word for this is Christology, right? We're studying who this person of Jesus is, who Jesus Christ is and was, and and how we learn from these things. And we see this, this morning, we are going to be talking about that Jesus is a resurrector. It starts out, we're just going to go right through it. It starts out in verse 9, and he says this, Paul, Paul to the Colossian church. We have talked about his fullness already and that Christ is the fullness we have inside of all of us, that through Christ we are made full. You know, Andy spoke about this a few weeks ago, that we try to fill ourselves with other things, but ultimately it's only Christ who can fill us. And that the he will be the one who leads to all we need. And in verse 10, Paul continues that this Christ is not only the source of all of our fullness, but that he is the head of all authorities and powers, that he is ruling all things. And in verse 11, that in him, you who were also circumcised with the circumcision, not performed with human hands, but by Christ, that puts off our whole self. And I say this, and I want to clarify this, because if we remember when it talks about being in this new circumcision and being or throwing off our old self, that our whole selves are ruined and corrupted by sin. You know, the evil of this world doesn't just affect small pieces of us. The, the choices we make don't just affect small pieces of us. Let's not kid ourselves and say that before Christ we were good people, we just had a few weak spots Let's not kid ourselves and say that, well, I'm generally a good person, but I just have one area of my life that is bad. No, Christ teaches and scripture teaches us that that before Christ and without God, that this 
pressure, this evil from the world infiltrates all of us. That we didn't just need a little help, (laughs) we needed a lot of help. Why? Because we have sinned. And in the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, that everyone who sins has in fact become a slave to sin. It is not just a one-time thing. It is not just something we mess up with occasionally. But that before Christ, when we were living in sin under the power of this world, that we are in fact slaves to this world. And we were ruled by the flesh. And when I say the flesh, I simply mean the things that are temporal. Right? The things that are not for eternity, but that are in the here and the now and that one day will waste away. Things like Andy talked about last week. If you remember, he said that the the philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. These are things that are temporal. These are things that are temporary that are not eternal. And yes, we have the image of God in us, but that sin has corrupted us. The pressure of the world has corrupted all of us. The scriptures also use the image of yeast in dough. If just a little bit of yeast gets in, you, you can't get it out, right? Try your best. You won't be able to. And this is why the resurrection is so powerful. That it didn't just save a part of you. You didn't, you know, 80% of you wasn't already saved by your own efforts to be a good person and just 20% of you needed saving through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, all of us needed all of us to be saved through the resurrection. And that is why Christ is so powerful. And Paul says in verse 12 that having been buried with him in baptism, we were also raised with him through our faith. That the same God who raised Jesus from the dead that we celebrate on Easter each and every year transformed evil into good is the same God that through our baptism, through our faith in Jesus Christ has raised us also. This is something that we cannot do without God. We cannot raise ourselves up without God. And in verse 13, he continues and says, because when you were dead, you were in slavery. And not only did he forgive you and free you to make you alive, but that he continually does this. Stop and consider this for a second. We talk about this a lot. This is the foundations of Christianity, but let's just remember this this morning. When did Christ do this for you? When did Christ make this sacrifice for you? Was it when you decided to be baptized? Was it it when you decided to stand up or kneel before the altar and give your life? Was it when you finally overcame that one sin that held you back? Then Christ did this thing for you. No. It was before you could do any of that. It was before we could respond at all. In fact, Paul says to the Colossian church, it was while you were still dead. Christ offered his body for you. And all of those things are important. Confessing and and being baptized and overcoming sin and darkness are important. But Christ shows us this to show us that we cannot earn the cross. We cannot earn our resurrection. There is nothing you can do. This is why I love the thief on the cross so much in the Easter story. You know, he couldn't sell everything he owned and give it to the poor. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't do anything. But he just literally hung there to die. And yet, Christ remembered him. 
And if you desire this resurrection, Christ has already made the choice to give it to us. Christ has already made the choice to share with you in his resurrection through God. It's given freely. And if you desire this resurrection, church, let me remind you that you will not be left out. You will not miss it if this is the desire of your heart. You know, I was thinking about this, and I, it, it popped into my head this game, and I don't know if they played it where you grew up, but in the U.S. we had a game in, in primary school. Uh, we called it Heads Up, Seven Up. And I, I used to think it was a really fun game, and I think it was just for when teachers wanted kids to be quiet. Um, and what you would do is the teacher would pick seven students, and they would stand up in the front, and then everyone would put their heads down like this with their thumb up. And then the students would go around and... Each student in the front of the class would tap one person's thumb and then they'd put their thumb down. And then everyone would lift their heads up and then the person who got tapped would have to try to guess who had hit it. And if they did guess correctly, then they would get to go be the person to do it and it would sort of go like this. Well, I was in a public school with a lot of students. And so if you do the math, my classes regularly had 30 to 40 students in them. And so if you do the math, there's seven people up there and they're choosing seven people and the turnover is at most seven each time. Well, the problem with this, and unless the teacher chose me at the beginning, uh, Sam wasn't the most popular kid in school. Uh, I was a little weird. I liked to play and do my own thing at recess and, and, and didn't have a ton of friends. Um, I would just sort of sit there every time. You know, I'd put my head down and hope someone would touch my thumb so that I could play. And then every time, oh, I didn't get picked. And then I would do it again, and then, oh, I didn't get picked. And when I used to love this game, I began to sort of hate it. Because I thought, well, I'm just going to sit there just putting my head down and up and closing my eyes, you know? And then so you sort of start thinking, well, maybe I just don't even do it and I just sit back and keep my eyes open just to see and watch other people play because I'm just not being involved. Um, not that I'm cynical at all. I, but there I was. Small little Sam, and I wasn't ever little, so big Sam who was in a young grade. And, and there I was hoping that someone would pick me. There I was hoping that there was something I could do that would make, you know, all the friends who were picking them, each other back and forth, back and forth, uh, someone would come and, and, and let me play in the game. I was sitting there waiting for a chance, and nothing came. You know, church, one of the things we have to realize when it comes to the resurrection is that's not how Christ operates. We don't have to wait for him to offer us resurrection. We don't have to wait and go through the hoops and, and join the right church and, 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 and act in the right way. We have to simply be willing to join in to his resurrection. You do not have to be specially chosen by any merit you can provide. You simply have to say yes because Christ has offered it freely. And then Paul in verse 14 reminds the Colossian church exactly what he did, that he paid our indebtedness. He paid our debt, our debt to God for the sins committed and the selfishness we lived in was paid. And remember, you are not so good that you only would have gotten a few years in prison, <laughs> okay? It wasn't that your debt was just something small. Well, I could have gone, I could have done that time. It wasn't so, I wasn't such a bad person. 
Don't let the analogy get weakened here because of our legal system that says we can leave prison after a time. He saved us from death. He saved you from imminent death and destruction. He took it away, according to the Apostle Paul, and nailed it to the cross so that you never would have to. How amazing is our God that he decides to say to you, there's nothing you can do to earn this, there's nothing you can do to deserve this, there's nothing you can say or act that will make you any better than your neighbor, and yet 2,000 years ago, I am going to do this for you before you are even a glimmer in your parents' mind, before you ever sin, before you ever repent, and I am going to offer this thing to you so that when you are ready, you will be resurrected with me. But if that weren't enough, this is what I love about our God. He always goes one extra step for us. You know? He's like, God, you could have stopped there. That was really good. He says, no, I'm going to do more. Verse 15, Paul says that he not only has resurrected us and saved us, but that he has disarmed the powers and the authorities of this world, making a public spectacle of them and triumphing over them by the cross. He has taken the powers and authorities of this world, which is the same words in Greek used for the powers of evil and the powers of Satan and the things that work in this world for evil. And he has conquered them and also humiliated them by his humble service to us. This is the evil that rules the temporal world. This is, we, we cannot forget, church, there are two separate worlds we live in. Let's not kid ourselves, Okay? It's, it's not really a popular thing to talk about evil and, and forces of evil and these sorts of things, but let's be honest. There is the language that, that Jesus used with John the Baptist about the kingdom of heaven being at hand, that we have the kingdom of heaven offered to us, which is the kingdom of eternity, the kingdom of love and joy and patience and kindness and all of those wonderful things. And then there's also a kingdom of evil and a kingdom of, of things in this world that, that hold us down. And these things are in opposition to one another. These things are fighting each other. Not only did Christ defeat these powers on the cross, he made a public spectacle of them. He showed the world that there is only one way, that there is only his way, and that if we decide, we decide to conquer, that we can with him. You know, I mentioned I was just in Egypt last week, and it's a wonderful place visiting with pastors. But, you know, Egypt is, is largely a Muslim country. And the church there is actually thriving. Many, many people are Christians and worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord and caring for refugees. I, I encourage you to go and visit some of these monasteries and, and places if you're ever there. It is phenomenal to see. It has a very active church, despite what you would see on the news. But one monk we talked with was like, you know, being a Christian here is not so different. Everyone respects us, everyone thinks we do good things, and everyone's fine with the Christians. You do your thing, we do our thing. But as soon as we talk about the cross, it makes people angry. It offends them. As soon as we talk about Jesus being more than a prophet and more than someone who's a teacher, as soon as we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and how Jesus conquered the powers of this world, everyone starts getting real uncomfortable. Church, I hope you find the cross of Jesus Christ offensive because it is. 
It tells us that we are not good enough on our own. It tells us that the world is wrong and that his is the only way. It should offend you because when we look at the cross of Christ and the resurrection he is and that he offers us, it shows us that I cannot do this on my own. And that's hard because I love relying on myself and I love doing things my way when I want them done. And that is not what Jesus offers us. It is an action that shows also that there are two sides of this world that we must choose. We cannot ride the fence anymore when it comes to the cross. We cannot say that Jesus was just a good teacher and a prophet and not believe in the resurrection. It is an event that has changed and shaped all of human history. And so let me remind us all that this is a battle we are living in. We may know who wins in the end. We believe and know that Christ will win in the end. But this world is still dangerous. This world is still fraught with evil and and, and hard choices because evil still lurks and still has power in this world. Many people we know, some of you in this room, are still living in bondage to this evil, are still living under the slavery and oppression of sin. And even though the cross can disarm the powers and authorities, they are still active. Hear this, our resurrection in Jesus Christ does not make sin safe. Your resurrection offered through the cross of Jesus Christ does not make sin safe, where you can just think you can conquer it and think it's not a big deal anymore because it absolutely is. You are not invincible on this side of heaven. And the enemy is actively working. If Christ is working on lifting us up, the enemy and the evil in this world is actively trying to hold us down. Yes, Christ has saved you and offered you life through resurrection, but there are still dangers and snares in this world. And and, and there are things in this world that want to hold down the church, that want to hold down the sons and the daughters of God. So then what do we do? How do we proceed? Fortunately, Paul tells us. Verse one of chapter three, he says, since you then have been raised with Christ, set your minds on the things that are above This is a letter to the church. And as such, we can assume that many of them are believers already. Many of them have been baptized already. And many of us in this room have been baptized and are believers and have set our faith in him. But in a room this size, there are also those who have not. In a room this size, there are some of you in this room who are still considering Christ. In a room this size, there are some of us who are still struggling and feel enslaved to sin. And if you have counted the cost and chosen the way of resurrection, good. Consider and continue. We can choose one of two things. We can remain in our sin and live a life that will last until our physical body wastes away. However long that may be. Or, We as a church can look at the resurrection Christ offers, set our minds on things that are above, that have been raised with Christ, and find new life in Christ in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We can have a new life in that which is eternal, far beyond our days here on earth, that will last far, far longer if we choose this resurrection and choose to set our minds on things that are above rather than the things of this world, rather than worrying about the circumstances and worrying about our status and worrying about our possessions. He says, set your minds on things that are above. In verse two, in chapter three, not on earthly things. 
Set your minds on the things that Christ cares about, loving one another. Sharing Christ with your neighbor and your coworker. Maybe you can't do it with words, so do it with actions. Have charity, kindness, gentleness. I read a quote this week that said, it is better for a man to be gentle than for a monk to fly into fits of anger. You can say you're a Christian all you, all you want, but if you are not loving your neighbor gently and you're flying off the handle with anger and rage and you have a short temper, it doesn't matter. The things we focus on on this earth will fade. I mean, think of the great rulers and kings of the world. <laughs> Conquerors who, who, who were kings of great empires and had castles and everything they ever thought and I don't think any of them are still in control. <laughs> Why? Paul says in verse three, because you have died to the world and your life is hidden and hid away with Christ safely. We can go out and love other people with reckless love. We can go out and love other people with humility and gentleness the world doesn't understand because our life is hidden with Christ. Christ has taken it and set it away to where no one can get to it because of our resurrection with him. And so we can then go and serve this world and bring the kingdom of heaven to this world because we know that we will one day appear with him in glory. You know, next week we're going to talk about Christ as liberator. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself into what that looks like. I want to focus on the resurrection as we sort of wrap up. And I just want to remind us all why this idea of resurrection is so important. Because even though I'm not dead yet, I don't feel dead. You know, some of us, maybe when we get out of bed in the morning, we sort of feel half dead. But, but we're not dead yet, okay? You are not dead yet. All right? But I also know that some of you have felt like there is no hope inside. I know that some of you have woken up and you've sort of thought, what's the point today? And I know that your neighbors and your coworkers certainly have thought these things. You know, even the great prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18 or 19 said, I wish I had never been born to God. Church, hear this. Christ doesn't just resurrect us so that we will be with God for eternity, but so that he can resurrect our lives here and now. That he can resurrect all of the things that seem broken here and now. That, that, that he will send his spirit here and now at this very moment, if you ask, that he will begin to resurrect our relationships he will begin to resurrect our, our relationships with those people we consider to be enemies. If Jesus is a resurrector, that doesn't just mean he did it once. That means he continually offers it over and over again. He can not only raise us from dead, but he can also raise our sinfulness from the grave, our broken relationships. Maybe it's your hurt and your trauma from the past that needs to be resurrected and made alive. This is nothing new, too. Christ offers us this, but God offered the Israelites this in our passage from Deuteronomy. He says, hey, Israelites, I love you. Look at the things I've done. Therefore, choose life. Don't choose death. And when we say to God, no thanks, God, no thanks, Jesus, I'm going to be in control of my, of my life, of my relationships. I'm not going to let you resurrect all of these things that are broken in my life. We're saying to Christ, I, I don't want you to beat this power of evil. I don't want you to overcome. 
surely Christ is enough to conquer everything that we fear. Resurrection can conquer our current sin. Some of you in this room feel entrapped and enslaved to a sin. The resurrection Christ offers can conquer that. Some of you have hurts from the past, deep wounds, trauma, and you can't let go and you wonder why Christ's resurrection can finally heal those wounds. Some of you are very fearful for the future. What in the world is gonna happen? How will I survive? How will I do this? What if, what if, what if? The resurrection of Christ can subdue your fear for the future. The resurrection of Christ not only takes care of us now, it takes care of our past, it takes care of our futures because our life is hidden with Christ on high and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God according to the book of Romans. There's nothing that can separate us. Christ has already done these things. Christ has already given himself for you. And the reason life seems so overwhelming is because it is. And we can't do this on our own. This life is hard. This life is difficult. We cannot do it on our own. And so we must rely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ to bring us back to life when the evil of this world crushes us down. Because if Christ died and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father, as Paul says in Colossians 3.1, then he is still alive and active and will continually resurrect your life if you go to him. That is who our God is. He is a resurrector, one who brings things back from the dead. So what are we waiting for, church? We always talk about desiring spiritual growth and sanctification. We always say we want to be more holy, be more like Jesus. Sometimes these things are really found in the basics. Christ died. Christ was resurrected. Christ ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God and he offers you the very same thing. Why do we not then put to death the things that are of this world in our lives? and take Christ up on his offer for resurrection. And then the question for all of us becomes this as we go from this place today is what does Jesus need to resurrect inside of you? What does he need to bring to life inside of you? Maybe it's an old relationship that is causing you pain. Maybe it's a past hurt. Maybe it's a current sin. Maybe it's a future fear. I don't know. It could be all three. Some of you could be batting for the cycle. That's fine. Jesus can do it all. Jesus has offered it all. God has set before us life and death. Therefore, choose life that you and your family may live. There is no, hear this, there is no power in this world that can keep you from new life. There is no evil, there is no past sin, there is no current sin, there is no future sin that can keep you from a new life in Jesus Christ if you go to him. There is no power of this world. Christ has humiliated them through the cross. There is no power of this world and no power of sin that can keep you from a new life in Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Let's pray.
Lord, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities can ever separate us from your love. Lord, convince us of that this morning. Lord, some of us need healing from the past. Lord, I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would begin to bring healing to those who need healing. Lord, for those who struggle in sin and feel entrapped and enslaved to sin here and now, I pray through the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to give them freedom. And Lord, for those who fear the future, I pray that they would find rest in the name of Jesus Christ, that they would rest for today and worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Lord, you make everything glorious. And you have made us. Thank you, Lord. We are your sons. We are your daughters. We struggle with this concept. But Lord, we know you are good. And Lord, if there is anyone in this room who desires new life, who has never considered you for the source of that new life, God, I pray that they would turn to you in humility. As we all have and as we all continue to do each day. Lord, we lift up all of these requests to you, knowing that you know our hearts, that you hear them, and that you desire to answer these requests because you are a good father. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for defeating the evil of this world and offering us a way. You are good, and for that we praise you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.